Praise the Lord. Everybody doing okay tonight? I heard a few yeses. We'll take that. We'll take the win. Good to see you here tonight. We're glad all of you could be here tonight for our midweek Bible study. Those of you that are with us here on campus, thank you. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we would like to say welcome to you as well. Have a lot of announcements tonight, and by a lot, I mean just one. Um, Monday, March 27th, youth camp registration opens. So please be aware of that. All of the parents and campers, um, March 27th, registration time is upon us. And it's the middle of March already. It's amazing to me. This year is going by so quickly. Before Pastor comes this evening, I just want to leave you with a, a quick thought. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, in the King James, it says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were spread abroad, so that we did not need to speak anything. In the message version of, of that verse, it says this, Your lives are echoing the Master's word. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore because you're the message. You know that God put you on earth for a special reason? He did. I believe that. I believe that's true for every person. He put you on earth for a special reason. He wants to say something to the entire world through you. This past Sunday, Brother Daniel led the young adult class in a great discussion just about personal evangelism. We had a wonderful time, and it's really... It's, it's been on me this week, and I've been, been thinking about it a lot. Um, our life message. In Christianese, we would call it your testimony. Uh, but it's your life message. I like that word, testimony. It makes me think about being called to court to testify when all you have to do is just give your account of what you saw and what you heard, and, and it's what you witnessed. That's your testimony. Anytime you say, look, this is what God's doing in my life, that's your life message. That's your testimony. Anytime you say, I was praying about this, and then this happened, that's your testimony. That's your life message. Anytime you say, I've got this problem and this issue in my life, and I've been, I've been struggling with it, but God is helping me. That's you sharing your life message and your testimony. And you know what? Only you can share your unique life message. It's your testimony. It's what you saw. It's what you heard. You're the expert. Nobody else knows it better than you do because it's what you've experienced. And God wants to use that. He wants to use your life message. He wants to use your story. Especially considering that the best messages are personal messages. You know, uh, powerful messages come through a person especially whenever it's somebody that you know. Because you can see Tom Selleck and Joe Namath hawking uh, reverse mortgages and diabetes medicine all day long, and you're not convinced. You can see Marie Osmond telling you about the wonders of Nutrisystem diet plan, and you're not convinced. You can see Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers talking about how great Jake from State Farm is, and, and you're still not convinced. You don't pick up the phone and call Jake or get on the website. But when you see someone you know, 
It's your friend and your family member, and they've lost all this weight, or they're saving all of this money with Jake from State Farm. Well, all of a sudden, you start paying attention. You want to know how they did it. You want to know their story. And that's the power of a personal life message. That's the power of a testimony. Listen, God has a, has a message that he wants to share with the entire world. And he didn't choose to write it in the sky. That's not how he chooses to convey it. He wants to share it through you personally. Your testimony, your personality, your hang-ups, your quirks. That's how he wants to give the world the message of who he is. And here's the great thing about it. You don't have to be perfect to share your life message. You don't. You just have to be honest. You have to be real. And you have to be authentic about what you saw, about what you heard, and about what you experienced. And you just say, look, I don't have it all together. I don't. I don't have it all together. But this is what God's doing in my life. This is the difference that Jesus Christ has made for me. And you know what? If you don't share your life message with other people, they may never hear about what God can do for them too. Because your life message is yours alone and nobody else can share it. All right? Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening. Thank you, Brother Jason, for that challenge. And uh, what he had to say is true. I was thinking while he was saying that, I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that's ever had to testify in court, but um, if you were a witness, that's really the only requirement they look for unless you're an expert witness. But typically in court, they look for people who just saw it, experienced it, what have you. Credentials other than that are really not necessary. And uh, I want to be a witness. I do want to impact the lives of others with mine. And if all of us could do that, we would sure make our world that we live in, the little world that we live in, a much better place. Good to see you. Thank you all for being here tonight. And, uh, I'm still in the afterglow of our service this past Sunday, and uh, uh, you're texting various, a number of you texted this week, uh, commenting, uh, showing me pics and things, sending me pics and things having to do with the power of a stump, and I appreciate it. Uh, it was very fulfilling and very rewarding, and I still believe the content of that message tonight. Um, I don't believe things are over when we say they're over. I think God has more ability sometimes than what we get credit for, and we want to terminate the success of something based on the circumstance of it, not what God can do with it. And uh, I'm, Lord willing, planning to challenge you along that line a little bit more here tonight. I do want to uh, mention tonight, Sandy Taylor would like to meet with all the JV team, all the JVers in classroom two tonight immediately following the service. So if you could meet with her tonight, that would be wonderful. And um, 
And whatever she asks you to do, all you JVers look this way. She's right here. Uh, it's this way. Whatever she asks you to do, say, yes, I will. Just like that. Amen. Where's all the aisle runners? We, we, we need a good hearty amen. So uh, meet with her, and uh, she would appreciate it. So would I, and a whole lot of other people. If you just say yes. So remember that. Stand with me tonight. We want to bring to you a very special need. Um, Jonathan Adams' brother and his wife are expecting a baby. And I uh, have learned that there's a lot of complications. Lots of complications. And uh, they have reached out and asked us to pray they had another need uh, not too long ago that I remember uh, in their family and we prayed and God took care of it and I believe God can take care of this one uh, nothing nothing goes beyond the reach and power of God and we all know that so uh, pray with us tonight for this service I might do a little more preaching than teaching and uh, but I want to challenge us again so let's pray for both of these things tonight uh, Jonathan's brother and his family and also the service tonight let's pray together Jesus we love you tonight and God we know that you're able to do the impossible for with God nothing is impossible and I pray tonight for this baby this unborn baby about to be born God that you administer to this child while it is yet in the womb that when it is born it'll be a perfectly healthy whole baby we ask you God to do these things in the name of Jesus as a witness as a testimony of your power of your amazingness to intervene where we are so inadequate and so unable I pray God that you would answer this prayer and that you would bring it to pass in Jesus name bless this service I pray that you would bless the word of God let our hearts be open our minds be open to it help us to receive it and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you. And you may be seated. I want to read tonight from 2 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, again, I'm going to dabble a little bit in last Wednesday night, even the Wednesday night before that, and also this past Sunday. Uh, just feel like God has got a, a lot of momentum moving in our church, and we want to keep it. We want to keep it moving. Everybody say amen. 2 Samuel 21, beginning with verse 9. And he delivered them, that is David, into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. They were put to death in the days of harvest of harvest in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest and Rizpah the daughter of Aiah took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. 
Most of us here tonight are familiar with this Old Testament story. And I want to speak to you about it from very passionately and from the bottom of my heart. I want to talk to you tonight about the spirit of Rispa. Hashtag, we're coming. The spirit of Rispa. Hashtag, we're coming. The story I'm about to bring to you is one that may be somewhat challenging or hard to get our head around it. It was a ritual of that time. It was something that their culture allowed. We would not do any such thing here today. And and, and I know there's Bible traditions and, and Bible stories that are so foreign to our cultural thinking today. Sometimes I think it's hard for it to even make its way into our heart. But there, the spirit of this, the, the spirit of it, the attitude of it, the posture of it is what I want to present to all of us here tonight. This has been prevailing in my heart since this past Monday. And um, I, I wanted to just kind of go more Bible study route tonight and just kind of challenge you a little bit with Bible study, but I could not get away from this story. Let me tell you the story as quickly as I can, and then we'll launch into our presentation. In Rizba's case, her husband, King Saul, broke his promise that, Israel, that the Israelites would spare the Gibeonites in battle, and he immediately broke that promise and ordered the Israelites to annihilate them. So he went from promising not to hurt them, to spare them, to killing them all. Well, needless to say, that caused a lot of unrest and a lot of conflict and so on between the Israelites and the Gibeonites. So now King Saul, I will also mention his son Jonathan, are now dead. Uh, Saul fell on his sword and killed himself. Jonathan was killed in that battle the same day. They're both dead. They've been dead for a long time. And there is still this breach. There's this conflict between the Israelites and the Gibeonites. And I understand it. I think all of us could understand. Your king, the Gibeonites could say, made us a promise. And we participated and incorporated with him based on his promise. And then he totally went back on his promise and slew a lot of our people. And we want that... Uh, we want justice. We, 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 we want, uh, I'm not sure they were necessarily looking for revenge per se. I don't necessarily read that. They just wanted justice. They wanted something to be done by Israel on their behalf to kind of even the score, if you will, to reestablish peace between these two uh, nations of people. So by now, David is king, and he has a peculiar way of fulfilling the request of the Gibeonite people. He said, uh, I'm going to put it in our terminology and context. We can understand it. He, 
He was not willing, of course, to annihilate his army. I think that would have been even, a fair trade. You annihilated ours, so now you, you wipe yours out. He, he didn't make that offer. I don't read that in the Bible. But what he did do was promise to turn over to the Gibeonites two heirs of the throne of Israel, two sons of King Saul. And in addition to that, he threw in five more of Saul's grandsons. So there was a total of seven men that David, King David, turned over to the Gibeonites and said, you are free to kill them. We won't retaliate. We won't do anything. Just kill them, do whatever you want, and then we will call the score even. The Gibeonites agreed. I know this is a hard story to get your head around, especially in our culture today, but this is how they rolled back then. It's interesting to me that somehow David persuaded them that the two boys, the heirs to Israel's throne, he persuaded them that they were legitimate heirs, which by this time they were not. The kingdom had been turned over to David, and now his sons, grandsons, and so on would be the future heirs of that kingdom. But the Gibeonites accepted it. And they were turned over, and as I read to you tonight in 2 Samuel, the Bible said the Gibeonites hung them on a hill close to Gibeah, where Saul, King Saul, lived, used to live. And they were displayed there as trophies. Uh, it was to serve as a mockery to Saul. Ha, 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 we got even with you. Uh, we have balanced the score. When they killed the two sons of between Saul and Rizpah, the Bible said again that David added five more of Saul's grandsons. And this is interesting to me because the number five in the Bible represents grace. So perhaps David was appealing to the grace of God to the grace of the Gibeonite people, to the grace of the Israelites when word spread that this has happened. This is a horrible thing. I don't know how many of you are really thinking about that right now, but if it was your family or something that happened to people you knew, I'm sure that we would have some things to say about it. These seven men had done nothing to contribute to the situation. This happened before they were even on the scene, old enough to even fight in a battle. I want you to notice some things about this scripture setting tonight, and, I, and, and, and some of these is what I would like to just really nail home. As the Bible said that this happened, I read it twice in our scripture setting, this happened at the beginning of harvest. We all know what harvest means. It was spring harvest for them, they were about to harvest their barley crop, barley being a wintertime crop and harvest it in the spring. They were about to harvest that, and you all know 
especially in Scripture, that harvest, the time of harvest, is an exciting time. Uh, I've referenced it before. Brother Tommy Goins here tonight was a farmer in times past, and uh, I'm, I'm quite sure that when harvest time came, there was a certain fulfillment. You get to harvest what you have sown, what you've raised, what you've planted. And it's an exciting time. And after harvest is done, you get a little bit of a break, a little bit of a rest. And then you start all over next spring. But in this case, it was a wintertime crop that they were harvesting in the spring. And the Bible said that's when this incident occurred. I would like to reference again our, our COVID experience. I've, I've referenced it several times this year, feeling like perhaps we're far enough past it that we can talk a little bit about it without it stinging quite so bad. And my heart still goes out to people who lost friends and loved ones during that time. But I have mentioned to a number of people, and I've even mentioned it from the pulpit several times, that just prior to COVID hitting, we were talking here at Grace Church about two services. Our attendance every Sunday was demanding that we needed more room. We talked about doing the platform project that we've recently done uh, last summer, last August. And we wanted to do it in a way that we could add another row of chairs across the front, possibly even two, to make room for more people. It was a time of harvest. We felt like a time of harvest was coming COVID hit, and now the rest is history. But just because it was time for harvest, Rizpah, who was Saul's concubine, said, I'm not going to get real jubilant about harvest time right now. I'm going to defer my excitement. I have another job to do. I want to submit to Grace Church here tonight, and I'm very passionate about this presentation. To be honest with you, I'd prefer to do it on a Sunday. But God just seemingly pounded me with doing this tonight, so here we are. I believe that Grace Church, and I believe this with all of my heart, I, I believe we are in the beginning stages of another time of harvest at our church. I believe God is doing amazing things. Uh, we're seeing more and more guests. As a matter of fact, we had a family visit not too long ago that just randomly said, we want to be in church on Sunday. Nobody particularly invited them. They've never attended here before. We just want to come. We've seen several other families that have been coming in more and more. As far as I know, unsolicited by anybody here. God is just bringing them. Anybody on board with me tonight? I've, I've said over and over, amen. But I have said over and over that if we sow seed somewhere, God will bring a harvest from somewhere and it doesn't have to be out of the same place. But as much as we are moving into a time of harvest and church growth and marvelous things, I've I've not talked a lot about our connect groups this semester, and uh, that's my bad, if you will. But I've been excited about it. I keep hearing good things about our connect groups. 
Last semester was wonderful. This semester's going wonderful. And I believe we're sowing seed. We just keep sowing seed. We just keep sowing seed. And for, for those of you here tonight that are hosting a connect group or attending one, keep on keeping on. Don't be weary and well-doing. The people that you're inviting, that you're working with, may not be here yet, but there's other people that are coming, and I believe it has to do with your labor and your commitment and your dedication to what Brother Jason referenced as evangelism. So the Bible said when her sons were given over to the Gibeonites and they were hung and, and their bodies was left hanging. They were left on display um, as a, a horrible, just gruesome statement against King Saul and, and his kingdom and what have you. Rizpah was, even though she was a former concubine of King Saul and, and knew politics and, and knew this person and that person, the throne was occupied by now by another man, another king, and her political influence had gone away. She might have been at one time powerful and had some say, but now she's silent. There's nothing she can do. She could not prevent the deed of her two sons being turned over to the Gibeonites. She could not stop it. She had no voice. But what she did do, I don't know if she understood the power and the influence of not who she was, but what she was about to do. That was what was powerful. That was what was so influential, as you see, as this story unfolds. As her son's bodies were displayed, hanging, at the time of harvest, she determined, I am going to commit myself to a vigil. I'm not going to show up one night and just hold a candle and say a little prayer and go home. And I have all due respect for that. The Bible said she brought sackcloth, which is a type of fasting and sacrifice and just giving up her whole entire life. And so for the next five or six, not days, not weeks, but months. She laid herself out on a rock and she guarded those seven dead bodies so the fowls of the air could not eat them and so that the beast of the night that would come could not eat them. That means she didn't get a break for lunch. I suppose she had somebody bringing her food. I, I don't know when she slept. The Bible said she did this day and night so that no fowl of the air nor beast of the field would come to the bodies of those seven people that King David turned over to the Gibeonite people. She married herself, if you will, to this gruesome event, grief-stricken. I'm sure her emotions were running rampant, as all of you could imagine. But she put her grief aside. She put her anger aside. And she made it her priority to cover these seven dead bodies with a commitment and a dedication that goes beyond my 
comprehension here tonight. She was truly a faithful mother to her two sons. And while she was there, she went ahead and did the same thing for the five grandsons that were not necessarily related to her. She was a concubine. She wasn't married to Saul. What is God's posture on all of this? We all know tonight and we'll remember from the scripture that God and Saul just never could get on a wavelength. The Bible said that Saul did good for the first two years of his reign. The following 38 years was horrible. And it was during that 38 years of horrible reign that Saul committed this deed against the Gibeonite people. So God seemingly ignored the situation while Saul was king. But when the new king came to the throne, at some point God said, I'm going to deal with that. And the Bible said he caused a famine to come to Israel because of what Saul did. And the Bible is very clear about that. The Bible said, the Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonite people to death. That's why this has happened. So David now is having to deal with something in his kingdom that he didn't do. He wasn't a part of. He wouldn't have done this deed. Had David made a promise like that, I believe he would have kept it. But now he's having to pay for something that he didn't do. And consequently, David offered up Rizpah's two sons and then five more grandsons of Saul. As David is seeking to appease the Gibeonites so that this matter will end, he is also making an effort to appease God so the famine will end. So when David asked, what do you want from us to end this? To the Gibeonites, he asked. I believe in his heart, he's also asking God, I didn't do this. I didn't cause this. What do I have to do, God, to make this famine end and bring peace back to our land? It's interesting to me that the Bible said that after these men were taken and hung, the Bible said they were killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. I chose Saul, and he made a bad decision. And now it's going to pass down for generations to come. Are y'all on board with me here tonight? I'm going somewhere with this. Rispa. The mother of the sacrificed Armoni and Mephibosheth, a different one than the one that you're familiar with that was crippled. She guards her son's bodies, but also guards the bodies of the other five. When we dedicate babies, I always include the church. It's about the family, it's about their child. But I always tell the church, I always turn around down there and tell the church, we're all in this together to help this family. And I mean it. I'm not saying it just to be a ritual or a ceremony. 
I mean it. And this is the spirit of Rispa. I'm not going to only look out for mine. I don't know where the mother of those other five kids were. I don't know of those other five men. I don't know where those mother or mothers were. I don't know why they weren't doing the same thing that Rispa was doing. But she took it upon herself that even though they're not mine, I'm going to protect them as well. This act on her part of staying out there day and night for five to six months, again, I want to impress upon you. It got David's attention, but it wasn't because of who it was. It was because of what this person was doing. We understand that. We think sometimes that we don't count. And I say this often. We think sometimes our prayers don't matter and all that. It's not based on who we are. It's based on our passion and faith about what we're praying about. That's what makes the difference. It moves the heart of King David. And not only does he come out after five or six months to bury these men, to give them a proper burial, but he also gathers up the bones of King Saul and his very best friend, Jonathan, and gathers all that up and brings them out, takes the men down from hanging, and gives them a place of proper burial. And when he did that, the Bible said in, in, in 2 Samuel 21, 14, that after that, God answered prayer on behalf of the land and the rain started falling again. It rains and the drought ends. My desire tonight is to see a spirit of Rizpah born and come to life here in Grace Church. There are things that we are that have experienced. There's things that we have experienced with our families. There's things that some of you have experienced with your kids. There's things that you've experienced with your grandkids that weren't your fault. You didn't do it. Nobody can point a finger of blame at you. Maybe it was somebody else in the family. Maybe it was somebody from another generation of your family. Or just simply, maybe some of our kids and grandkids are just caught up in a spirit of worldliness and sin. Either way, we didn't do it. I want everybody to understand here tonight, and I have a deep respect for people who serve God, but even more so people who have served God for a long time. I have a lot of respect for that. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12 I'm about to be 66, you do the math. I've had the Holy Ghost a long time. I have learned that when I come to God in prayer, it's not who I am, and it's not how long I've served God. It's the faith and passion that I have at that moment when I'm praying. For the fervent, effectual, fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want everybody to hear me tonight. I believe there are people in this building tonight that are only a few steps from God 
and what he wants for them and for a miracle ministry. I believe that tonight. I believe there's people here tonight, you're knocking on the door. You're, as Brother Young used to say all the time, you're on the threshold. You're on the threshold. Does anybody remember that, that knows him? I believe there's people here tonight that are on the threshold of what God wants for us, what God wants for you and for a miracle ministry. We cannot neglect. We cannot neglect. Not now. Not now. We can't give up now. We can't stop now. We can't quit praying now. We can't quit believing now. Come on, Rispa. Are you willing to make that commitment? Are you willing to just stay out there and stay out there and stay out there until I get the attention of my king. I believe there are men and women that are here today. <laughs> I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Oh my goodness, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. The Bible says to be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. And then there's people that attend Grace Church, and I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm just trying to resurrect this spirit of Rispa. That, that when there's a prayer meeting, you were here. When there was a church service, you were here. And I understand that this might have been a long time ago, but Rizba could have said, I'm going home after three months. I've been out here long enough. I'm going home after four months. I've been here long enough. But she stayed that extra week or two, and she finally got the attention of her king. And King David came along and comforted her heart. I'm here to preach to somebody tonight. You prayed too many prayers. You fasted too many days to back off now. Come on, Rizma. Come on, hang out there with me, sweet lady. Give it just a little bit more. Give it a little bit more. I believe there are men and women here tonight that are just a few prayers away from a new dimension in the Holy Ghost. That will be the ultimate expression and dream that you desire. Don't stop now. Don't quit now. Don't give it up now. I wonder if there's about five or six people here tonight that really believe that you're not far from God meeting that need and answering that prayer. We can, we can say with all of our might tonight, but God, I didn't do it. God, I didn't cause it. It's not the point. We're missing the point. God is looking for somebody that says, I'm going to get in a prayer room. It's not my fault. I didn't do it, but I'm going to get in a prayer room. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give myself to the cause and purpose that God's trying to achieve. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I believe this story parallels the hour we're living in. For the past several months, I've told several people, but I believe we have people on our leadership team that are tired. We have people that are tired here tonight. They're exhausted, burnt out. We have a huge age gap in our church. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but the folks that are up here, the people that teach Sunday school, I'll just say they're not getting any younger. And there's a huge age gap between them and the next group that's coming. I want to tell these folks that are teaching and singing and playing and all of that, our lobby people, our media people, don't be weary and well-doing. Don't be weary and well-doing. Don't be weary and well-doing in the days of well-doing. 
I believe this story parallels the hour that we're living in right now, and I'm going to tell you why. The Bible said that this event happened in the days of harvest. And I believe that's where we are right now. I believe, I believe God's wrapping it up. I do. There's too much stuff going on. I know we say that often, but it just keeps getting worse. Our world just, it's not getting any better. But I believe tonight here at Grace Church, if you've been a child of God for any length of time, I believe we can all get an inadequate perception of what revival looks like. And it can cause us to miss a significant visitation of God. I can't stress that enough. I, I, I believe with all of my heart. Last year, I've talked about last year, it was horrible for a lot of people, a lot of struggle. We all thought after COVID kind of started dying down a little bit, we could get back to normal, that, buddy, we're just going to come back raring and fighting and what have you. And it hasn't happened that way. I want everybody to listen to Pastor tonight. I stand to be corrected myself. But I believe we can all get an inadequate perception of what revival looks like. I believe Grace Church, in the context that I'm teaching tonight, is in a mighty revival right now. There are things that's happened to people. There's things that's happened to people's attitude. There's things that's, people, that's happened to people's posture. It wasn't, you weren't like this a year ago. You weren't. I remember when we launched our, our first semester of Connect Groups last, last fall. I commented to Dave that when, on that Sunday morning when people gathered in, there was a buzz in this church. You could feel it. You could hear it. It's almost like we didn't want to start church that Sunday morning. It's a little, let them talk. Let them fellowship. Let them visit. This is amazing. It was a revival that was happening right before our eyes. But I think because we have a preconceived idea of what revival is, if it's not that, then it's not revival. I want to say that Grace Church is in a mighty revival right now. We're experiencing a mighty move of God right now. Amen. And we can't miss this very significant move of God that's happening in our midst right now. We can get people to pray. Uh, not going to go into it, but we've had people praying this year. That's all I'll say. And they were willing, couldn't wait. Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And they did. And it was amazing and it was mighty. Uh, I walked out in the lobby Tuesday morning, and I don't know, there was eight or ten ladies here ready to pray out in the lobby. And as soon as 10 o'clock hit, the visiting was over, and they came in here and they prayed for a solid hour. There's a time of revival that's happening in our midst right now, and we can't can't miss it. Consistent revival is not always high octane. Revival is not a sudden, earth-shaking, high-profile thing all the time. But it's based on perseverance. It's based on a spirit or an attitude and the things that matter. Revival is happening in places that you may not hear about right now. You may not know about right now. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. I thought we had a mighty time of revival this past Sunday morning. I could see it on a number of different levels. There was a lady here Sunday morning. She's been here before with her husband. 
and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, came down to the front and told me twice I'll be back next Sunday. I don't know who invited her. That's one revival. There's another revival with little Keegan Storns being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How many of you missed that? You didn't even know what was going on. See, this is why this is the point I'm making. Oh, it was an okay service. No, it's not. It was a mighty service. It was a splendid service. When somebody's filled up with the Holy Ghost, that's a mighty thing. That's a glorious thing. That's an amazing thing. Hallelujah to God. I submit to you again that we are in a time of revival. Here's my point. This is what I've come to say. And this is what we must recognize. I need our prayer people to recognize this. This incident in the Bible, the season was harvest. The reality was famine. God intends for Grace Church to have a significant revival. And it's already begun. We cannot miss it because we or our family is in a time of famine. You know the beauty of Rispa? She didn't even mention the famine. I, I don't know if it's in her vocabulary. I'm sure she was as hungry as everybody else and as thirsty as everybody else, but that did not stop her. She had more junk going on in her life than you can imagine besides the grief and the heartbreak and the heartache of what she was feeling with her two sons, just that alone. If it had just been one son, but it's two sons. This lady was a mother. She knew what it was like to give birth to these two boys. You say, well, she was a concubine. That doesn't take away the value of her motherhood. They were still her boys. It didn't matter who the daddy was. Amen. Come on, somebody. She loved them two boys, and she raised them, no doubt, to the best of her ability. And she also was looking out for the other five. And you get that point. I want to say to us tonight, we can't do anything about what's happened in the past. We can't go back and undo the things and circumstances that's happened in our family. But what we can do, what we can do is find a prayer room and a place to pray and to seek God and to get a hold of God not based on who we are, but because our heart is full. Our heart is full of desire. Our heart is full of wanting a move of God. God, you've got to do something. Thank the Lord. So when you stand with me tonight, as you stand with me tonight, I want to ask you a question. We're tired, and it's been a hard fight over the past several years. But is your family and your friends still worth praying for? Are they? Is it still worth coming out on that Tuesday night prayer meeting? Is it still worth getting in the prayer room on Sunday morning? I want, I want somebody to tell me, Pastor, that prayer room is just way too small on Sunday morning. We're going to have to move it to another room. I'd like to move it back in here and just have a prayer meeting that just takes over Sunday school and just keeps on going and going and going. But is your friends and your family still worth praying for?
Is coming to prayer meetings still worthwhile? Is attending every church service we possibly can still worthwhile? I want to make a statement to God tonight. And I believe we have, I believe we are, and I believe we're going to. But I want to make a statement, I want it loud and clear. That God, there are some things that's happened. We've had some families, terrible things have happened to them. It may have been on my watch, and God, I tried and did all I could do, but I, I couldn't stop it. I still want the harvest. I still want to go out there and win people and all that kind of stuff. But I've got some loved ones that the devil has taken away that's been turned over to the enemy. And I can't stop praying for them. I can't stop watching out for them. On numerous occasions throughout the years, I've actually asked God, God, I can't help these people anymore. I can't help these families anymore. I've, I've tried. I've prayed. Please lift the burden just for a little while and let me just move on to someone else. And it seems like for a day or two, it's just kind of lifts and what have you. But then all of a sudden, they're right back in my head. And I got to pray for this family. And I got to pray. Our church is full of families that could be far closer to God than we are, they are now. They've been turned over to some Gibeonites. They've been turned over to the enemy. They've been turned over to worldliness and sin. And we can't accept that. I have said, I'm happy that at least some of them still attend church. I'm happy about that. But that's not my total level of attendance. I want these people living for God, living on fire. I didn't get a third of the way through this message. You can study the names and what these people's names mean. But Rispa means a hot coal, red hot, white hot coal that just refuses passion and faith. everything I can. I'm not going to do it just once. I'm not going to just commit to a week. I'm not just going to say, God, I'll be at one prayer meeting this year. No, 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 no. I'm making a commitment that is undying. It's a time of harvest. It's a time of harvest, God. It's a 
time of harvest. I want my kids to be a part of this harvest. I don't want to be out here doing this. I want to be a part of the harvest. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of the harvest, God. But, 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 but for now, God, I'm going to pray for my family, for my kids, for my loved ones, for my spouse, for my parents. Y'all sing, everybody pray. Everybody pray tonight. Everybody spend a few moments in prayer tonight. Everybody pray. God, I want them to be a part of this mighty revival. God, I want them to be a part of what you're doing. God, help our church tonight. God, I pray for all of our families. I especially pray for those that are lukewarm, that are backslidden. The worldliness has got a hold of them. That the devil has got into their hands. Sin has gotten into their heart. I pray, oh God, tonight in the name of Jesus that the Holy Ghost will move on them right now. God, that we can intercede. God, that we can be passionate about our prayer. That we're not going through the motions right now. We're just not going to go through the motions right now. But our heart, the effectual fervent prayer, our heart says that I want them back, oh God. I want them on fire for you, where there's life, there's hope. And God, I believe in you tonight. That you're going to do great things. Talk to them, oh God. It's such a singer to the night. Until it happens. I'm not going to stop praying until it happens. I want my kids to 